Welcome to the Great Detectives of Old Time Radio. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham. If you have a comment, email it to me, box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives and check us out on Instagram, instagram.com slash greatdetectives. If you are enjoying this podcast, please follow us using your favorite podcast software. I do want to let you know that I am on Cameo at cameo.greatdetectives.net and I'm available to record videos for your special occasion, including birthdays, anniversaries, and pep talks. And I want to thank Hannah for actually placing my first orders. And I'm available for anyone interested in that service, cameo.greatdetectives.net. Well, now it is time for this week's episode of Mr. Chameleon. The original air date, February 2nd, 1949, and the title is The Duel to the Death Murder Case. Next, Mr. Chameleon and the Duel to the Death Murder Case. Tonight, we again present the famous Mr. Chameleon of Central Headquarters in his most famous cases of crime and murder, brought to you by the makers of genuine Bayer aspirin. Now, let me tell you just who Mr. Chameleon is. A college man, he tried from childhood to live up to the name he bore, Chameleon. By taking on the color of whatever situation in which he found himself, appearing in endless guises, finally entering the police force where he became known as Chameleon, the man of many faces, the underworld's most dreaded man. The listener invariably knows who Mr. Chameleon is no matter which disguise he assumes, but the criminal he's tracking down seldom does. Tonight we give you Mr. Chameleon in the Duel to the Death murder case. At one o'clock in the morning, the New York side streets grow quiet. Many of them are completely empty and deserted. And Mary Mulcahy, hurrying home after a long day of work, hears only her own footsteps echoing through the night. But suddenly she stops and lets out a scream as she stares at the two bodies sprawling on the sidewalk. Oh, Oh, help! Help! Police! Help! Help! What's the matter, Mary? Danny! Oh, thank the Lord. Where did you come from? Well, I was across the street. I was just going to call out to you. Holy smoke. What's this? Look, it's two men, Danny. And I saw them just tonight. They were having dinner at Mr. Peter Fowler's. Are they dead? Yes. They must have killed each other. They each have a gun. I'm going to call the police. The police? Yeah, I got to. But I won't come back. You better stay here and talk to the cops. Oh, no, no. It'll look better. And 
less than 15 minutes later, Mr. Chameleon, the great detective, is bending over the two bodies, while Detective Sergeant Dave Arnold stands beside him. And a little to one side, Mary Mulcahy is watching them apprehensively until Chameleon turns to her. You found these bodies, didn't you? Yes, sir, I did. And I called for help. And a nice young man ran across the street. Uh, what he... happened to that uh, nice young man after he called the police? Well, I, I, I don't know, sir. He just didn't come back, I guess. Mm -hmm. I understand that uh, you recognize these two dead men. Oh, yes, sir. That's what's so terrible. Just a couple of hours ago, they were having dinner at Mr. Peter Fowler's. And now they've killed each other. Yeah, how do you like that, Mr. Chameleon? Would ever expect to hear of a duel being fought on the sidewalks of New York? That's a new one. Only it wasn't a duel, Dave. It's a double murder with a very clever bit of stage dressing behind it. Murder? Did you say murder? Yes, Miss, um, uh, what is your name? Mulcahy. Mary Mulcahy. What makes you so sure it's murder, Mr. Chameleon? Well, I'll show you, Dave. Those bodies are lying 20 feet apart. But from the appearance of the bullet wounds, these shots were fired at much closer range. Miss Mulcahy, tell me about these men. No, it's an amazing coincidence that you should stumble upon them and happen to know them. Oh, yes. Yes, sir, it is. You see, I work for the Fowlers. I go in by the day. But sometimes when they have dinner parties like tonight, I stay late and help the cook wash up the dishes. And, well, these two men were there for dinner. They were guests of the Fowlers. Uh, what were their names? I didn't hear their names. Uh, here's a card, Mr. Chameleon. They each had cards like this on them. Oh. Jones and Dale, private investigators. Jones and Dale? Well, I've heard of them, Dave. They specialize in blackmail cases. And there's a penciled name on this card with a telephone number. The name is Mrs. Arnold Cartwright. Oh, well, now we're traveling in high society. Mrs. Arnold Cartwright is a very prominent and extremely wealthy woman. Uh, Miss Mulcahy, Mr. I... Calling Mr. Chameleon. Uh, Dave, will you get that? Headquarters is calling me on the radio in our car. Okay, Mr. Chameleon. Uh, Miss Mulcahy, uh, how long have you worked for the Fowlers? And where do they live? They live on Park Avenue. Oh, they've got a beautiful place. I've worked for them about eight months. And what were these two private detectives doing, having dinner with people like Mr. and Mrs. Fowler? Mr. Chameleon, mm -hmm. Central Headquarters just got a tip over the phone that Danny Mulcahy might have killed these men. Danny Mulcahy? The man who went to jail for manslaughter? We... Mulcahy, that's your name. Yes, sir, it is. You're related to Danny? He's my brother, Mr. Chameleon, but he didn't kill these men. I'm sure he didn't do it. Since he got out of jail five years ago, he's been going straight. He's been making an honest living working as a plumber. Well, I hope you're right, my dear, but I'll have to hold you for questioning. Oh. Dave, you send out an alarm. I want Danny Mulcahy picked up immediately. <laughs> And what have you to say for yourself, Danny Mulcahy? Mr. Chameleon, so help me, I don't know nothing about it. I didn't kill those two men. Well, you have every reason to hate them. They're private detectives, and it was they who got the evidence that sent you to jail. Yeah, I know that, but I'm no killer. That time when I went to prison, I didn't mean to kill Joe Murphy, but we just got into a fight. Over me, Mr. Chameleon. Joe Murphy insulted me. Danny hit him, but he hit him so hard, Joe's neck was broken. But he didn't mean to murder Joe. You're a loyal sister, Mary. I'd heard that you worked and slaved and used every penny to pay the lawyers who eventually got Danny pardoned. Oh, if I've been a good sister, he's been a good brother. And the jury gave him manslaughter. Don't that prove Danny was no murderer? Yes, Mary. 
But he still could have hated Jones and Dale. Danny, what were you doing at the scene of the crime? At the scene of the crime? Who told you I was there? Mary? No, it wasn't Mary. I guessed that you were the man who called the police and then ran away. You shouldn't have, Danny. I understand why you did it. I know a man with your prison record is terribly handicapped. You can understand that, Mr. Chameleon? But even so, you shouldn't have done it. Now, Danny, we figure the shooting took place between midnight and 12.30. Where were you at that time? Why, I... Well, I was just walking around. No alibi? No alibi. But, Mr. Chameleon, you still don't even know if those two men were murdered or not. Maybe they did shoot each other. Oh, at the Fowler's house, they were fighting something terrible. I could hear them from the Fowler's kitchen. They were fighting with each other? Well, they must have been, Mr. Chameleon. Mr. Fowler shouted a little too, but he was only trying to keep them quiet. You uh, like the Fowlers, don't you, Mary? Oh, yes, sir. They've been awful good to me. They won't believe that my brother Danny did these murders. And he didn't. <laughs> he didn't. Oh, hush, Mary. Mr. Chameleon, I'm afraid because I got a prison record. Does that mean I don't get a chance? The law gives everyone a chance, Danny. The innocent must be protected, and the guilty must be punished. Now, I sincerely hope that you're innocent for your sister's sake. She's had a hard life, Danny, and I'd hate to add more sorrow to it. And now, a short while later, we find Mr. Chameleon talking to Mary Mulcahy's employers, Mr. and Mrs. Fowler, in their fashionable Park Avenue home. So you knew all about Mary Mulcahy, Mrs. Fowler. You knew her brother Danny being in jail for manslaughter. Now, how did you find out? Well, she told me, Mr. Chameleon. Poor, hard-working soul. She's devoted her life to that brother of hers. As for Jones and Dale... Well, yes, what about them, Mrs. Fowler? What were they doing in your home tonight? Peter... I think we should tell Mr. Chameleon, darling. He's a clever man, one of the greatest detectives of our time. Thank you, Mr. Fowler. We'll only do ourselves harm if we try to conceal anything. Mr. Chameleon, these two men, Jones and Dale, were blackmailing me. What? Jones and Dale were private investigators. I'm sorry, Mr. Chameleon. All detectives can't be as honest as you are. Anyway, each of them separately tried to blackmail me. That's what they quarreled about tonight. I invited them here to dinner. I, I thought that we might talk things out. I'm sorry they're dead, but they were evil men. Uh, why were they blackmailing you? How did you know them in the first place? Did it have something to do with Mrs. Arnold Cartwright? You are clever, aren't you, Mr. Chameleon? Yes, you're right. Mrs. Cartwright has a daughter, Flora. Yes, very beautiful girl. I've seen a picture in the society columns. Yes. Well, unfortunately... About a year ago, Flora fell in love with me. She called here constantly. She insisted on seeing me. When my wife was away, she even came here. And uh, you weren't interested, Mr. Fowler? Mr. Chameleon, I'd be a hypocrite if I denied that I was flattered by Flora's interest in me. But my wife, bless her heart, was understanding enough and strong enough to put a stop to it. Mrs. Fowler, you have an unusually honest husband. That's one of the reasons I love him so much, Mr. Chameleon. Uh, tell me, how did the two private detectives, Jones and Dale, become aware of the situation? Mrs. Cartwright hired them to follow her daughter at that time. I see. And uh, why did they wait till now to blackmail you? Because Peter, my husband, has just been offered a fine job with a brokerage house. A scandal would kill his chances. I see. Mrs. Fowler, one last thing. 
Where were you tonight between midnight and 12.30? I was feeling ill after dinner, Mr. Chameleon. I called my doctor, as he'll verify, and he suggested a remedy. Peter went to the drugstore on the corner. The clerk will remember me. And now may I ask you something, Mr. Chameleon? Yes, certainly. In spite of our sympathy for Mary Mulcahy, I'm wondering about her brother, Danny. Does he have an alibi for the time of the murders? Now, the society leader, Mrs. Cartwright, is next on Mr. Chameleon's list. And we find him saying to her... Mrs. Cartwright, I'm sorry to disturb you at this hour. I should think you would be, young man. What's your name? Chameleon. Uh, mm, I've heard about you. But I don't mind telling you that I have a very low opinion of the police. Oh, well, that's too bad. As for those men, Jones and Dale, I don't condone murder. But perhaps the world is well rid of them. Well, I'm glad to hear that you don't condone murder. Uh, Mrs. Cartwright, uh, where is your daughter, Flora? She's in the country, at a house party with her fiancé. She's to be married next week. Do you approve of the marriage? Yes. It's something I prayed would happen for several years. That dreadful flirtation she had with Peter Fowler. Now my daughter has at least a chance at happiness. And that happiness was threatened by Jones and Dale. Mr. Chameleon, are you implying that I might have killed those men? Hm, how quaint. As a matter of fact, I'm not even sure that the blackmailing notes came from Jones and Dale. They were anonymous. But Jones and Dale had access to all the facts. Besides, Yes, I, uh... you have a low opinion of detectives, yes. Mrs. Cartwright, where were you between midnight and 12.30? Are you asking me for an alibi? I am, Mrs. Cartwright. I was in bed, young man. My maid will verify that. Besides, I thought that this, this... Danny Mulcahy you spoke of was suspected of having killed those men. He is a suspect. The evidence against him is very strong. Then why aren't you willing to let it go at that? Does this Danny Mulcahy, does he have an alibi? It is now the following morning. The scene, the office of the Commissioner of Police at Central Headquarters, where Mr. Chameleon says... And that, of course, Commissioner, was a question I hated to answer, because Danny hasn't an alibi. The evidence is all against him. As Mrs. Cartwright says, why can't I let it go at that? Why can't you, Chameleon? Well, I suppose what it boils down to is that I'm human, too. I have my likes and dislikes. I trust certain people, and I don't trust others. And you're touched by the struggles, financial and emotional, of a tired, hard-working woman like Mary Mulcahy. Yes, and that is bad. I know there can't be any room for sentiment in my profession. I deal in facts, and the facts all point to Danny as the murderer. Chameleon, do you think those two private detectives, Jones and Dale, were evil men? Well, that's another thing, of course, I don't want to believe. Simply pride in my profession. The facts say that they were murdered because they were blackmailers. And I mustn't let sentiment interfere with facts. But the truth is that I don't quite know where to turn next. Who to turn to? Unless... Uh, what are you smiling about? Well, I was just thinking. I believe I'll talk to Mary Mulcahy. Now, I have a curious feeling that she may be able to help me. Sentiment, no doubt, since I want to help her. But maybe sometimes it pays to be true to your emotions. Mr. Chameleon and the duel to the death murder case continues in just a moment. 
A very important thing to know about genuine Bayer aspirin is that its single active ingredient is so gentle to the system, mothers give it even to small children on their doctor's advice. Always remember this, because it means that when you have an ordinary headache, neuritic, or neuralgic pain, you can take Bayer aspirin with complete confidence. For Bayer aspirin gives you more than fast relief. It also gives you the dependable relief that's important to your health. Bayer aspirin speed is proved by the fact that it's actually ready to go to work in two seconds, and its dependability is proved by its record of use by millions of normal people without ill effect, a record that no other pain reliever can match. So don't experiment when you're in pain. Don't risk using drugs that have not stood the test of time. Instead, use something that millions know from experience is fast and completely dependable too, genuine Bayer aspirin. When you buy, Ask for it by its full name, Bayer Aspirin, not just for aspirin alone. Get the 100-tablet bottle and you get Bayer Aspirin tablets for less than a penny apiece. And now, back to Mr. Chameleon and the Duel to the Death murder case. Everything seems to point to the guilt of Danny Mulcahy in the double murder of two private investigators, Jones and Dale. But Chameleon is not satisfied. And we find him now with Mary Mulcahy, Danny's sister, in the cheap little room where she lives. Sure, I'm honored by your presence, Mr. Chameleon. Can't I give you a cup of tea? Uh, no, thank you. Mary, I came here because I want you to help me if you possibly can. I help you? Oh, but you're the detective. Well, detectives need help sometimes. Mr. Chameleon, I'll tell you this much. If Danny's convicted of those murders, I'll move heaven and earth to get him free. Again? He's my brother. And I think he's innocent. But, Mary, you... Oh, never mind. Uh, what I want you to do now is to tell me anything that you can about your life with the Fowlers. Oh, but there's nothing to tell, except they've always been very kind to me. But think hard, Mary, think hard. Now, you're a housemaid there. Didn't anything ever happen that stuck in your mind? Anything unusual? Well, once Mrs. Arnold Cartwright came to see Mrs. Fowler... Oh, I'll never forget that. Why, Mary? Because she seemed like such a hard-driving woman. Oh, she kind of scared me. I felt Mrs. Cartwright might be able to do anything for her daughter, Flora. Even kill someone? Yes, Mr. Chameleon, even that. But Mr. Fowler had already stopped those. All those shenanigans with Miss Flora, so it was all right. Hmm. But was it? What, sir? No, nothing. Mary, what employment agency sent you to the Fowler's? be agency, Mr. Chameleon. Why? Well, it's just a hunch of mine. Uh, now, did anything else that happened at the Fowler stick in your mind, any little thing at all, no matter how uh, unimportant it might seem? Well, oh, well, this is a silly thing. Well, go ahead, Mary. The first month I was there, Mr. Fowler was always calling a certain telephone number. Well, how'd you know? Didn't they have a dial phone? No, sir. There's a switchboard in that building. Well, anyway, he called this number every day, or maybe... Twice or three times a day. The minute he got the party, he lowered his voice. I couldn't help wondering who he was talking to. Mary, do you think you can remember that phone number? Oh, yes, Mr. Chameleon. But it doesn't seem awfully important. Well, it may be extremely important, my dear. It may be the thing I'm looking for to help me break this case and save your brother Danny from the electric chair. Oh, come along, Detective Sergeant Arnold. We are going into the commissioner's office. I want to tell him about that phone number I got from Mary Mulcahy. Right, Mr. Chameleon. 
Oh, hello, Chameleon. Dave, come in. I've got a lead at last, Commissioner. Huh? Mary Mulcahy gave me a phone number that Peter Fowler was calling constantly. I checked with the house switchboard where the Fowlers have their apartment. Yes. I also checked with the employment agency from which uh, they hired Mary. And? It all adds up to a very interesting total. Well, what are you going to do, Chameleon? Pay a call on the Fowlers. Disguised as Harry Morse, another private investigator. An associate of the two murdered men, Jones and Dale. Well, that's a hot one. A detective disguised as a detective. <laughs> yes, I know, Dave. But it'll be one of the most difficult disguises I've attempted. Being a detective myself, I've no idea how a detective looks to the average layman. Well, he looks hard-boiled. That's the popular conception, Chameleon. Uh -huh. And easily corrupted, according to Mrs. Cartwright. Anyway, Harry Morse is about to make an appointment with Mr. and Mrs. Fowler for 10 o'clock tonight. I have uh, special instructions for you, Dave. Yes? I want you to take this key and find the lock for it. What? Well, where'd you pick that up, Mr. Chameleon? I found that key near the scene of the murders. I had to pass there today on the way to Mary Mulcahy's. It may be just a key that someone dropped in the gutter. On the other hand, it may be one more piece of evidence. Who knows, Commissioner? Perhaps my sentimental journey to see Mary Mulcahy will really bring results. And so, that evening, at 10 o'clock sharp, Mr. Chameleon, disguised as Harry Morse, a private detective and an associate of the murdered men, presents himself at the door to the Fowler's apartment. And when Mrs. Fowler opens the door, Mr. Chameleon speaks as Harry Morse. Good evening, Mrs. Fowler. Glad to know you. Is this Mr. Morse? The same, Mrs. Fowler. I telephoned your husband early this evening. Yes, I know. He's expecting you. Come in, won't you, Mr. Morse? Thanks. Mr. Fowler is in the living room. Quite a place you got here. Jones and Dale spoke of it. They said it was remarkable how you could keep up such a place when Mr. Fowler didn't seem to have any source of income. Mr. Morse, I don't know you. I'd never heard of you before tonight. I, I didn't realize that Jones and Dale had anyone working with them. But I can't allow you to make insinuations about my husband. I intend to make accusations, Mrs. Fowler. Accusations? Peter? Yes, darling. Oh, is this Mr. Morse? How do you do, Mr. Fowler? Yeah, I'm Mr. Morse, and I might as well be blunt. I came here tonight to have it out with you. You see, having worked as a private detective with Jones and Dale, I know what they had on you. Had on me? What do you mean? He's going to blackmail you too, Peter. Just because of that absurd flirtation with Flora Cartwright. No, no, Mrs. Fowler. I'm no blackmailer. Not me. And neither were Jones and Dale. They came here the night they were murdered to tell you you'd better stop blackmailing Mrs. Cartwright. What? The man is mad. What on earth are you talking about? Oh, this, this is terrible. That men like you and, and Jones and Dale should abuse your profession. Yeah, I know. That is uh, your story, that Jones and Dale were corrupt. But it's a lie. They had evidence that you two charming people were blackmailing Mrs. Cartwright. And here it is. Would you like to hear it? No. Darling. Let this man here have his say. It's fantastic and outrageous, but we might as well hear him. Thanks, Mr. Fowler. First of all, Mrs. Cartwright's young daughter, Flora, didn't pursue you. It was you who pursued her. You phoned her a couple of times every day. I have a record of those phone calls. Also, Mr. Fowler, 
It was you who arranged for Flora to come here with your wife conveniently interrupting a love scene. That's a lie. Peter, tell him that he's lying. Well, he knows that, darling. Go on, Mr. Morse. That was your system, Mr. Fowler. You pulled the same stunt with several other wealthy young ladies in high society whose testimony I have locked away in my safe. Name them. Ah, uh, no, no. Not yet. When you found out that my partners Jones and Dale had dug up this evidence, you decided to murder them if they wouldn't accept a bribe. You had the whole thing planned very cleverly. Several months ago, Mrs. Fowler, you deliberately asked the B Employment Agency to send you a housemaid who'd been in trouble of some kind. They sent you Mary Mulcahy. With her brother Danny's prison record, it was a perfect setup. You're still lying. You can't prove any of this. Oh, yes, I can, Mrs. Fowler. You want to bet? Mr. Morse, how much do you want? How about a thousand? Peter. I know, darling. It's horrible to have to do this. These blackmailing jackals are a disgrace to their profession. But I have an important job coming up. I can't possibly jeopardize it. What will you take, Mr. Morse? Nothing. That's final? That is final, Mr. Fowler. I can't be bribed any more than Jones and Dale. That's why you followed them and shot them. Made it look as if they'd killed each other in a duel. Peter, this is awful. Yes, yes, darling, I agree. Mr. Morse, this, this whole thing is a tissue of lies. You, you can't have any such evidence because it's all lies. Mr. Fowler, I'm going to avenge my partner's death. I am going straight to Mr. Chameleon at Central Headquarters. But, Mr. Morse... Just a moment. I, I hear someone at the door. Excuse me, I'll be right back. Well, I didn't hear anyone, Mrs. Fowler. I did. Mr. Morse, in the name of, of decency and mercy, don't continue with this awful farce. Mr. Morse, look at me! <laughs> Give me that gun! Give it to me, Fowler! There we are! Now I have you what I want you. You see, Mrs. Fowler, I knew better than to look at you. I was watching your husband in the mirror over there. Mr. Chameleon. It is Mr. Chameleon. You aren't Harry Morse. You're Chameleon. Yes, the Mr. Chameleon who hated to believe that Danny Mulcahy was guilty of murder and that Jones and Dale were corrupt. Peter, why did you do it? Why did you try to kill him? Because he lost his nerve, Mrs. Fowler. I had no evidence against you. No real evidence except a little key which I found in the gutter near the spot where Jones and Dale were killed. A key? What key? A key, Mr. Fowler, that fitted your garage. Detective Sergeant Dave Arnold discovered that. He also discovered a station wagon in that garage with an oilskin-lined box just large enough for the body of Harry Moss. That box was to be shipped to an imaginary address in California. I am so sorry that I couldn't oblige you by taking that little trip. Instead, the three of us are going to take a little trip to Central Headquarters. Well, that key was what did it, Danny. That and the attempt on my life. The Fowlers have confessed, so you are a free man with a clean bill of health. Oh, Danny. Danny. Now, Mary, no blubbering. <laughs> How can I ever thank you, Mr. Chameleon? Oh, yes. Yes, how can we ever thank you? And you say Mrs. Cartwright has a job for us, too? Yes, Mary, she can use both you and your brother. And you don't have to thank me. I like you and Danny. I felt that you were on the level. Now, once in a while, we cops listen to our emotions. And when it turns out that our hearts were right, 
believe me, it is the greatest satisfaction we can have. And with these words, Mr. Chameleon concludes tonight's murder case. Whenever you feel like you're catching cold, remember the way that thousands use to quickly relieve painful cold symptoms. That way is to take two Bayer aspirin tablets with a full glass of water. Because Bayer aspirin is ready to go to work almost instantly, your discomfort is quickly relieved. And to ease the pain of a sore throat due to a cold, just do this. Dissolve three Bayer aspirin tablets in one-third of a glass of water and gargle. Used this way, Bayer aspirin makes a highly potent medicinal gargle that quickly soothes soreness and brings welcome relief to the irritated membranes of your throat. When you buy, be sure to ask for genuine Bayer aspirin by its full name, never by the name aspirin alone. Get the 100-tablet bottle and you get Bayer aspirin tablets for less than a penny apiece. Listen next Wednesday night at this same time for Mr. Chameleon, the man of many faces, in The Case of the Marriage of Death. The part of Mr. Chameleon is played by Carl Swenson, with dialogue by Marie Balmer from the original story by Frank and Anne Hummert. Music directed by Victor Arden. Your announcer is Howard Claney. New Lion's toothpaste does what no other toothpaste can. Thousands of laboratory tests on scores of individual teeth reveal that New Lion's toothpaste actually gets teeth two and a half to five and a half times brighter than any of the five leading brands. Brighter by far, in fact, than any toothpaste on the market. Remember, it's not just another toothpaste, not just another old toothpaste with an added ingredient. Lion's toothpaste is utterly new, radically different. It cleans without soap. Polishes without chalk. Lion's toothpaste. Listen for Mr. Chameleon in The Case of the Marriage of Death next Wednesday night at this time. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. Welcome back. This episode, there's so much to say about it. Let's start with this. Everyone acted like there was an airtight case against Danny. Although they really, all they really had was Danny had no alibi and he may have had reason to hate the murdered man. And that one lady asking if Chameleon could just let it go and charge Danny because he didn't have an alibi... And then the commissioner said, yeah, why don't you do that? Because that's not how anything works. You can't charge someone with murder for not having an alibi. You you have to have actual evidence to connect them to the crime in some way, or some hint that they were actually uh, in the area at the time. 
And Mr. Chameleon got into the silly idea of showing sentiment. You know, I like you. I could totally railroad you on utter nonsense, but because I like you, I'll actually do my job. Also, were there private detectives who specialized in blackmail cases? That seemed kind of weird as a sole specialization that you could run a business on. I mean, maybe like if it was one of several specializations, I guess. Uh, I've been pretty positive on Mr. Chameleon's impersonations, but I think Carl Swenson met his match in a gruff, hard-boiled detective that he was trying to do. He kept slipping back into Chameleon, and it was really noticeable. Then we've got the murder itself. And leave aside for a second that the killer didn't fool Chameleon at all. It just took him a few seconds to see through it. What was he thinking staging the bodies like that? Uh, was he thinking no one will suspect a thing unless they realize it's not the 18th century? In addition, while I know that employment practices in the 1940s were way different than today, it does seem like the couple asking the agency for someone who had family with trouble with the law would have been odd even back then. And of course, the big winner of this episode uh, is Mr. Chameleon. He didn't want Danny to be guilty, and he wasn't. He didn't want these two detectives to be corrupt and stain the absolutely spotless reputations of detectives. And they didn't. Yay for wishful thinking. One positive thing is that we are moving past the whole trope of the most obviously upright person being the killer. I was suspecting uh, Mrs. Mulcahy on that basis. Glad to be proven wrong. All right, well, now on to listener comments and feedback, and we've got an email from Caleb. Caleb writes, Hi, Adam. Hope all is well with you and your family. FYI, I'm a bit behind on the podcast, so sorry that these comments are a bit late. First, I find it hilarious that Mr. Chameleon has a very garden-variety murder case and calls it his strangest murder. Then the very next episode we hear involves a parrot as a witness. Surely that stranger. Second, as to Mr. Chameleon in general, I don't have the same vitriol towards it some uh, other listeners do. It is well pro- is it well produced or well written as Johnny Dollar, Dragnet, etc.? Probably not. I think the show never takes itself too seriously and recognizes its own limitations. The disguises are entertaining and the mysteries are still enjoyable, even if the entire concept is a bit ridiculous. But then again, is it any... Uh, more ridiculous than how dim-witted every other character was in Philo Vance besides Vance, or how Pagan magically managed to appear in every locale in The Man Called X. Keep up the great work, Caleb. Well, thanks so much, Caleb, and I think that your point is definitely well taken. And despite the issues I have with some episodes, and in particular this one, I guess, I still don't think that when we switched from... Philo Vance on Thursdays to Mr. Chameleon, that it represented some type of major downgrade. I mean, both series have pretty talented leads, intriguing hooks for most of their mysteries, and some ludicrous goings-on. 
uh, the ludicrous nature of the programs does vary quite a bit. With Philo Vance, it's all these dim-witted characters, and in particular, characters who have notable verbal tics. With Mr. Chameleon, it's the melodramatic, soporotic uh, nature of so many of the characters, and some of the ludicrous stretches of the solution. I think both are entertaining. If Follow Vance has any advantage, it's that a lot more people have listened to Follow Vance over the years than have listened to Mr. Chameleon, because up until a few years ago, there were only two uh, episodes of Mr. Chameleon circulating around in those in pretty poor condition, and about 80 episodes of Philo Vance. Uh, thank you so much. Appreciate your comment, Caleb. And now it's time to thank our Patreon supporter of the day. And I want to go ahead and thank Azita. Azita has been one of our Patreon supporters since August 2019, currently supporting the podcast at the Detective Sergeant level of $7.14 or more per month. Thank you so much for your support, Azita, and that will do it for today. If you are enjoying this podcast, please follow us using your favorite podcast software. And be sure to rate and review the podcast wherever you download it from. We will be back next Thursday with another episode of Mr. Chameleon, but join us back here tomorrow for the conclusion of the Shady Lane matter, where... Well, whether I'm right or wrong, one thing we've got to jar loose is that gun. That's a fact, all right. Can't make much of a case against nobody without that gun. You said nearly everybody in the township owned one of those old-fashioned squirrel rifles, the type Ellen was killed with. That's right. What about her husband? Does Ben own one? Nope. Nothing but a shotgun. Yes, I saw it when we were out there this afternoon hanging over the mantle. But at the same time, I noticed something else. What do you mean? That shotgun was resting on a pair of hooks set into the bricks above the fireplace. But the hooks hadn't been put there for that particular gun. Now, they were too far apart. What are you getting at, Mr. Dollar? I think those hooks would fit a squirrel rifle just fine. I hope you'll be with us then. In the meantime, do send your comments to box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives and check us out on Instagram, instagram.com slash greatdetectives from Boise, Idaho. This is your host, Adam Graham, signing off.